All right. Well, one of the things that uh, that uh, I really enjoy teaching in this class, and one of the things though is is I've often get a little bit stuck as to what should I what should I teach on. I'll, you know, um, a lot of different subjects are, come to my mind, but um, so what I thought about is is that. Uh, us being a church that does a lot of um, expository uh, preaching, I found that um, I'm not I'm not really an expositor when it comes to my teaching very much. Um, I do more of what I would say is is I'd like to to take take people through the message of this of the scripture and sorry to to keep it in that context. So instead of Perhaps doing one or two verses at a time, I'm more likely to, to go over, you know, five, ten verses and and give us more of the context background and, and keep it going that way. So um, one of, what we're going to do is we're going to study the book of uh, James. And so I'm going to start off uh, today and then um, we're going to... Um, you know, I'm hoping that over time, uh, Larry will let me uh, teach again in here, and, uh, and I'll be able to—I'll know exactly where to go. I'll just come back to uh, to James uh, coming from that spot. Now, uh, oops, let me get this started. It is starting. All right. So the book of James is a um, is uh, got a special place in my heart when it comes to uh, Lakeside because uh, many years ago now. Um, over in what used to be the library at, at, at church, uh, I was able to, I was asked by the uh, leader of the Young Marrieds group, which Jenny and I were part of at that time, um, to, uh, if I could teach, and and so we were in the book of James, so I got to get up and, and teach in the book of James, and so that was uh, probably 20 years ago, a little bit more than 20 years ago, so really uh, enjoy doing that. Now, um, so we're going to talk about James, and, and if you've ever, has anybody here heard of uh, inductive Bible study, the term inductive Bible study? Well, it's, it's really something that uh, really shaped my, uh, my life and my early ministry, um, because just being able to, the first time that I went to uh, an inductive Bible study and, and was able to, after doing the homework, being able to look at a passage and realize that if I if I studied it, if I read it, and and studied it and looked what's going on, that I could actually understand what the uh, passage was saying in its context, so that we could I could get the message that God had put into into that passage. And so, <clears throat> it's one of my joys to try to help other people to to see those same things, right? That the Bible is not written in a in a code where where only a few people can can understand it but everyone who is a, a believer can upon uh, take putting in the time and effort and and using some some basic logic rules and context rules you can understand what the what the message of the of the Bible is various uh, books of the Bible and the Bible as a whole. And these things are important because as we know, our, our society, our culture is, is becomes more and more um, 
antagonistic to the Christian faith uh, all the time, right? Even, you know, I, I always thought of Canada, you know, as you know, a close neighbor. They got to be a lot like us. But, but you know, a lot of the things uh, ever since COVID, I think, uh, have shown that um, they've got a very authoritarian side to them where where they have put pastors in uh, in jail for for trying to open up their, their churches and to, to preach the gospel. And they've got laws up there now where, where uh, people can get put in jail as for hate crimes, uh, for proclaiming the, the truth of the gospel uh, to people. And so we think, we think at some level those things can't happen to us here in the U.S., but they really can. And they really do in some cases. Um, people l lose their jobs. They, um, you know, lose opportunities. There's a lot of stuff that's getting um, taken away. And I and I think soon we're going to see we're going to see people put in jail, and um, you know, money seized and those kind of things as well. Because so I bring all that up because. What we have to understand is that the the open freedom we have of all this information and all the ability to to listen to sermons wherever we whenever we want we just go on the internet we can or YouTube you can go in a lot of places and hear a lot of great preaching a lot of that can soon become very restricted right it doesn't take much for YouTube to uh, say anything that speaks of homosexuality being a sin uh, will be removed from our platform and then you're going to start seeing a lot less sermons up, up on the up on the platform and then they can just do if you're telling somebody that they have to change then you are um, you are uh, being hateful and leading to people committing suicide so therefore, we'll take out anything that says you need to change. Well, then you know, obviously, that's a central core of, of the uh, Christian message: is that we are all guilty before God, and and only through coming to Christ and and the change that comes from placing our faith in Christ is the only thing that's going to save us from from the condemnation to come. But if that becomes a crime to speak about you're going to see that all of a sudden the, those um, resources that we have dry up so if those resources dry up then where do you go to understand what the scriptures say now it'll probably take longer for uh, that we can always be come back to church and, and and hopefully for a while we'll be able to do that but we don't know what's going to happen there. We all here lived through the uh, COVID situation, and we saw that it didn't take much for them to say we're closing down the uh, the churches and you're not able to meet because of health reasons, right? And and so if they put restrictions and on things like that, maybe it it becomes very hard to to um, have a church service. Right. So then in if those eventualities and even without those eventualities, the um, importance is that every believer 
should be able to go to the scriptures, read the scriptures, and understand what the message of the scriptures is. Right? When we go to, like the book of James, we should be able to, using a logic, I'll call it sanctified logic, because we're, there's a, a foundation of the, that, the, that the scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, all the things it says, right? Those, those things, so we have to start with the right foundation, but if we have the right foundation, we have the Spirit of God living within us, we should be able to logically and uh, consistently be able to walk through Scripture, see what it says, and then be able to take from that the message of the, that passage. Because let me ask you this. How do we know what's the main point of any passage that we read in Scripture? What would you have if you want to generalize that 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 answer? How do we know what's the main point of any passage that we read in Scripture? When we follow the interpretive rules that we that we have, by which we also interpret documents like. Where we, where we look at the historical context, uh, we look at who receives it, who wrote it, and, and dig into what the words mean that, that, that are being used to do all that. And okay, so they, 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 um, the, all the scripture is written in a context, right? It's not written in a vacuum. Yeah. We, we're, we're not like the, the Muslims who, who would say that that Muhammad was, uh, you know, overtaken and therefore uh, it was like a robot. He simply wrote exactly, or actually God wrote for him the the scriptures that that they that they use, right? That he wasn't thinking, he wasn't intending on something. The writing just came through him. He was like a mechanical instrument that wrote down. That, that wrote down everything that God had already had written in eternity. And so therefore they would say the Quran is not based on human writing, but instead God wrote every word of it. And it happened that being that Muhammad was the mechanical instrument, but it, it did not have to do anything with, with Muhammad's beliefs, his his intellect, anything like that. He was just a, a rote instrument. But that's not what we believe that happened with the with the writers of, of the Bible. With the writers of the Bible, we, we, we talk about that they wrote and they were superintended by the Holy Spirit so that God was directly involved, but they didn't be, go into a trance and then just start writing words, but instead they used... They were writing for a purpose. So part of what Casper was saying is one of the things we want to learn from a when we're studying a passage is who was the author of that passage, right? Who was the audience? Because if we know the, the author, we know the audience, that's going to 
help us understand what the person was writing and why they were writing, but also then, what's the occasion of that writing? What was the, what was the event or purpose that caused the author to sit down and write that particular message at that particular time, right? So these things are important because what I was asking you earlier, I was looking for, for these particular words, which was to understand what any passage is talking about, what we need to find out is what did the author intend the audience to take from the message that, uh, that they wrote down? That's what, that's what the, um, the overall meaning of a passage is going to be. Is what did, we're going to be talking about James, what did James intend for the recipients of his letter? What did he intend for them to take, understand, and do in reaction to what he wrote there? All right, so these are the, these are things that are very important. We want to know what's the author's intent. Okay, so when we start putting our our intellect and towards understanding scripture, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be saying, all right, James, who is he? Who's he writing to? And when he gives these words, what is his purpose? What does he want the uh, audience to do in light of what he has written? Right? Is he comforting them? Is he commanding them? Is he giving a story, a parable of some sort? Is he giving an illustration, a metaphor, or is he being straight out? The words mean exactly what they're what they're saying there. All of those <clears throat> are different ways and means of communication, but they all come back to that same concept of what did the author intend? Now this is important because as we we run into in our society a lot of times that's that's more of a foreign concept than what we might think we might think of course the author's intent is what we would want right but so many people these days would say no it's up to the reader the reader is the one who gives meaning to a passage right it's whatever it means to me right i can take i can i can take james and i might learn you know, when it says not to be a double-minded man, um, you know, thrown and tossed by the wind, maybe I'm going to take that to say, you know, that I shouldn't be a sailor and I should not go out when it's storming because, you know, I might get drowned in something like that. Is Well, because to me, that's the message I'm getting from that passage, but that's not a biblical um, sufficient way of studying a passage. We want to look at a passage. We want to be able to, again, see who is the author, who is the audience of it, what is the occasion that precipitated the writing of it, and then what was the author intending to communicate, right? Because when the Holy Spirit superintends someone, the author is still writing what they intend to communicate to an audience, 
And so they're writing it down based on their experience, their knowledge, their desires. They're writing those things down and the Holy Spirit superintends so that the words that were in the book of James are exactly the words that God would uh, have us to learn from the author James, right? So when we look at these things, we're going to try to use those principles in order to get an understanding of what's going on in, in the passage, right? Now, other things that we would need to do in order to do this, right, is sometimes, or I'll say most every time, it's very hard to understand what anybody has written to you in a letter or a book you're reading or something like that if you only read the two verses or the three verses or or maybe even a paragraph you might get one idea of what they're writing but if you read the entirety of what their of, of their message it makes a lot more sense to to understand it one way over over another way all right so so there are themes when the authors in the in the Bible write the scriptures when they when they've written down what they what they did again it wasn't like somebody was sitting there and saying all right I'm going to write one verse you remember they didn't have verses these are those are things that we put in there to help us find the different things right but they didn't say okay I'm going to write this sentence about this topic now I'm going to write this next sentence about another topic then I'm going to do another sentence about a different topic and then I'm going to write that kind of that kind of breaking things up is inconsistent with real understanding of what the scriptures are talking about right i think one of the verses that uh, it's almost become its own um, meme or parody of itself would it would be is right i can do all things through christ who strengthens me right if i take that verse and I have no context around it. I don't know what the who the author was, the audience was, what they're trying to do. What can I say about that verse? I can do anything I want. I can uh, I can get taller, right? I've always loved to play NBA basketball. I can become 30-ish years younger and uh, and you know a, a foot and a half taller, and, and I can I can play in the NBA tomorrow. Well. If he says I can do all things, is that what isn't? Shouldn't I be able to do that? Sure. Right. So then, it would seem obvious, right, that there's that can't be what it means, right? Unless another way that people look at the Bible is they kind of look at it and say, well, yeah, it says those things, but it, reality tells me those things aren't true, so I don't. I don't really buy what the Bible says about these particular things. I really can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, that it would be wrong to to conclude that without understanding again the context that the what that verse meant. Right? So, when we get into James, one of the things that we want to be looking at is we want to look at the book. We want to understand what the what the author why did he write the book? Who was he writing to? And then we also want to be able to see 
what are the means of writing? What is the means of communication, right? Because I've already kind of said it here to James, it's a letter, right? So it's going to be uh, fairly easy for us to get an idea of who he's writing it to, right? You have other things like, you know, like a book like the Proverbs. The Proverbs is a different kind of literature than the book of James, right? The book of James was, was in, not written in, in verse. It's not written as, a, as an allegory. It's, it is written directly in language that the people would understand in order to put forward a particular set of ideas, right? The Proverbs is different. Proverbs is, is a poetry. Um, Proverbs has uses visual tools in, in the language to to highlight certain things and to contrast them with others. And so one of the things to be able to understand scripture is we want to, we have to understand what type of scripture, what kind of literature are we are we addressing? Right? This is why the books of the book of Genesis is very important to answer the question of what type of literature are we talking about in Genesis, right? Because there are a lot of people, uh, there are some people who would uh, profess to be believers and maybe that are believers who would then say, no, Genesis is not intended to be taken literally. You can't literally take six day uh, creation. That is all just a story picture that tells us that generally God is the, you know, supervising force over the world of some sort, right? Maybe he used evolution, maybe he used billions of years. All of those things are nothing's off the table. Well, right, people have done a lot of study on that to look at the book of Genesis and say, wait a minute, actually, when you look at the language and look the way that it's written, it actually does expect you to take it literally what is what is being written all right so when we when we go over a book we want to we want to be able to to uh, take that context understand the type of literature and so that we can uh, properly evaluate right, you know um, taking a little another little side thing here is you know sometimes people will say that the the Bible that we have now is not the same message that the Bible was originally. And one of the things they'll use as an example is they'll say, well, you know, like if you've ever played that kid's game uh, telephone where you have a message and you whisper in somebody's ear and they whisper in somebody else's ear and somebody else's, and you go, uh, it doesn't take very long. Usually you get to another person and you ask them to re you recite what they what they heard, and it's completely different if it's even words um, than the original message. And they say, see, that's like what the Bible is. Right? Well, we're not going to get fully into that subject, but I brought that up to, to come back and, and, and say that people will often think about it, the Bible, in that same way. Right? Maybe they'll say, hey, I can't understand that message. Maybe you need a seminary degree in order to uh, understand the Bible. Maybe God only had certain pastors who were able to understand what the Bible says. And those of us who are 
ordinary believers, uh, you know, of course there's, you know, it's not like one thing or the other, but ordinary believers can't understand the Bible. Sometimes people will, will think that way. But we want to, again, avoid that kind of thinking because the scriptures are there for us to, to understand the revelation of God, who he is, what he commands of us, what he expects from us, all of these things. And we are responsible for reading the word, understanding the word, and putting it into practice. Now he gives us he gives us aids in the sense that we have a we have here a local church and he gifts people in different ways. Some he gives a gift of teaching. So we have very good teaching here at this church. We should have uh, that should give you a leg up in being able to be equipped in order to read the word for yourself and understand what it says, right? So so here at Lakeside we want to take advantage in a good way of the of the gifts that God has given to the church and we want to therefore be able to go into a, a passage, read the scripture and understand what it says. All right, last little caveat then we're going to actually get into the word here which is um Understanding scripture in one way is kind of like, right, you know, they talk about an onion and you, you take off one layer of an onion at a time. Well, it's kind of that way, but it's kind of like the opposite, right? It's like, right, you have to start somewhere. If you're going to start reading the scripture, you have to start somewhere. And if you're reading in the book of Matthew and you haven't yet read the book of John or the book of, uh, you know, First Corinthians or um, Exodus, right, then then your context of what the whole message of the Bible is is going to be a little bit harder. So you have to be you have to be a little bit more um, willing to accept that you could that you could be that you could have an improper understanding of a particular passage in light of what the scriptures say other places. Right? We have to we we build one level on top of another level. And as we keep building those levels, we gain a, a greater understanding of everything that the Bible says, right? And so, and I would say we can go our whole lives, we'll never reach a point where we've understood every aspect of every uh, part of the Bible and uh, therefore can, you know, have perfect understanding that way. So our, the fact that we are not going to have that perfect understanding here does not mean that we don't strive to know our Lord and Savior greater and greater every day. Right? As long as we're still on this earth, we should be devoted to learning what he has said and putting it into practice more and more. All right? Any comments before we jump in here into James? Because we're going to going to get into that but I want to see all right so the book of James first thing who can tell me if I was going to give you the choices of New Testament Old Testament where are we at when we're in the book of James 
Okay, we're in the New Testament. Okay, so what does that, what are, give me a couple of sentences as to what does that mean when I'm, when I'm looking at a book in the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament, what are some factors that I might take into account? All right, so this is after Christ uh, has lived, died, and rose again and ascended. Go ahead. How to live as a Christian. Okay, so you're saying that as because it's the New Testament it, and it's already laid out the gospel in the church, that the book of James would have more of a um, focus on how we live as Christians. Um, all right, what else? What are we, what, just being in the fact that we're in the New Testament as opposed to the Old Testament, what else do we, does it tell, tell us about it? You don't have to follow the law. All right, so that it's, it's, it's focus is on the church and being saved by grace and sanctification uh, up against, in the Old Testament, we had Israel we had the, the giving of the, of the law and obedience to the law and those kind of things. So we have a, we have a, a fairly big change there. In Gentiles, the New Testament, we learn... Gentiles learned, are included. All right, Gentiles. That was the one thing I was going to say, too. Go ahead. All right, so we have the literal words of Jesus that, that we can learn from in the New Testament here, where we didn't have those same in the, in the Old Testament. All right, so there's some. There is a big difference when we're reading something in the Old Testament and then we're reading something in the New Testament. Yeah, we believe in who Christ is. We believe in who Christ yes, is. Yes, we need to believe in who Christ is. It tells us in Hebrews that that the Old Testament saints looked forward to a Messiah. They didn't have they didn't have a clear understanding of who the Messiah would be and that he would be God himself. They didn't understand that, but they. They had the promise of the Messiah to come. But on the other side, we are on the other side of that, and we can look back to Calvary, and we know exactly that the, that the Messiah is God himself, God the Son, and that he came, he lived a perfect life, he paid the price for, for the sin of all who would believe, and he rose again, uh, to sit on the, the right side of God the Father. All right, so we, we know these, these kinds of things, all right? Now, if we're going to talk about the book of James, one of the things we talked about to start off with is, is we're going to want to know who the author is, we want to know who the audience is, and we want to know the purpose for the writing, okay? So, um... We're going to read, I'm going to, who's able to uh, read loud enough so other people can hear? Who can read for me um, the, what I would like read is the first 18 verses of, of chapter 1. All right, so if you can read uh, starting with James 1, 1 to 118, and while she's reading this, I wanting you to to grasp. I want you to write down or to put in your mind str strongly. Who is the author? Who is the audience? And what is the purpose of the of the writing? All right. See if we can gather that from this this passage that you're reading. James one one. 
James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. But he who must, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Mm -hmm. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Mm -hmm. Blessed is the man who preserves under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, for he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he will... Let me start that one over. <laughs> In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be kind, be a kind of first fruit among his creation, creatures. All right. Now, if I were studying this book, and what you should do on on your own is, you would read the rest of the of the book of James. I I shortened it down right now just for for our sake of, of being able to to follow and learn here. But you'd want to read the entire thing because then you get a sense of how. James is communicating, right? That, that sort of gave part of the answer what I was going to ask you. So let's go back then. Who is the author of this epistle? James. All right. And you know that how? Right. It says there James, right? Okay. So if we went to uh, verse 1, it says James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, who is, we're going to talk more about who James is here in a minute, but who is James writing to? Jewish Christians. What's that? The 12 tribes. So if it's the 12 tribes, he's talking to Jewish. Jewish Christians. And we know from the context, this is, doesn't seem to be a, a directly an evangelistic book. It's, he's talking to people who he would expect that they know the truth of the gospel message and he's wanting them to live it out 
So I would say Jewish believers is is something that makes sense. All right. Now, what's what else do we know about these Jewish believers? They're dispersed. All right. They're dispersed. Okay. So we we could we could go back through Scripture. We could look at other places, and we we could see. And we're going to take a look at another passage here in a, in a little bit. But so the dispersed to be dispersed. Why would they be dispersed? Persecution. Right? Persecution is probably the answer, and we'll, we'll look and see that it, in fact, is the answer to, to what's going on. And this is important, right? Because if you're writing to a, a people, especially if you think about it, Jewish people who, instead of being in Israel, are dispersed amongst the nations... Right? There's going to be um, circumstances that they run across and that they're dealing with that are going to be particular to people who are dispersed amongst people who are probably not all that friendly to uh, these Jewish people who are moving in, not to mention that these Jewish people who are following this new thing that's come out to this of uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, so James is writing to this, this people, right? And so kind of what we've already said right here, but what's the reasoning for that him writing? Trials. What's that? Trials. Trials. Okay. So we, we look at the first couple of verses there. We see that there are trials involved. Go ahead. Okay, so we, we know that from history, right, that these people are going to be newer in the faith, right, because it, we're, if we're talking about James, and, and this is all built into what we're going to get to, right, we're, we're not talking about 500 A.D. or, or 1200 A.D., we're talking about in the first century, so, there, and, and if we look at it a little bit deeper, we, we'd probably say it's going to be early on. Um, and so because of that, there, there aren't very many people who have been Christians for very long. So there's going to be a lot of, a lot of, uh, doubt and, and uncertainty as to what do you, how are we supposed to live, especially now that we aren't able to go to the temple in it, there in Jerusalem, uh, you know, on a normal basis. How how are we to worship? How are we to to live when we have these Gentiles around us who who do not know God? And how what do we do about those things? Normally, in the dispersion, we're going to see elements of uh, if people had to leave because of persecution, a lot of them are leaving without many assets that they're going, right? They're not going to have a lot of money with them. So because they don't have a lot of money, there's going to be some some poverty, some some need. So how do you address things about poor people, wealthy people, you know, all those kind of things? And we're going to see that in, in the book of James. All right, now, right in that first verse, why is why is Paul, oh, not Paul, sorry, why is James writing this this book? Right, we, have, we, we, 
we're, we're I'm not asking for it's writing to the 12 tribes so why is he writing giving him standards and hopes and because they are dispersed all right so what is the occasion when when we're asking about this occasion we're saying something has happened the church used to be primarily in Israel now it's dispersed and so the occasion that uh, James is writing this for is the occasion that these people are now dispersed amongst the nations okay so and and all of those things that you guys said factor into into what he is going to tell them and how we're going to be able to understand what he's telling them based on the fact that these people are displaced they're figuring out how to live in these new places and he's going to now address them because Let's get into who is James. All right. If, so how do we know who James is? The head brother of Christ. But how do you know? Because the Bible says. Okay, but how do you know that James is this James? Yeah. He's a bond servant of God, so he's, he's been chosen by God. Okay, so the thing, one of the things we know is that he's a bond servant of God, right? So we we know that he's a believer. He's a he's a servant of God. All right. So he's the brother of Jesus. No, but <laughs> you, we don't know that from James, right? Okay. <laughs> so we don't know that from from the from the book of James. We don't know, right now. Uh, let me let me cut to the chase here, and and I'll say you're right that it's the brother of, of Jesus, right? But but what we when we look into a a book like this, we want to be able to to look at it to say how would we then figure out who this James is? Partly, okay. Partly, uh, time period. Yeah, the time period we would want to look and see what what uh, what evidence there is in the book itself that tells us things like one important uh, historical um, marker that people use for understanding where something in scripture is written is is does it talk about the temple being present or does it talk about the temple not being present right because there was the the temple was destroyed in what year 70, right? 70 AD so so if something is written before or after, there might be difference in what they write about that. Are we talking about somebody who was a direct follower of Jesus? Or are we talking about a disciple or a close representative of a disciple of, of, of Jesus? You know, to try to get this, this thing here. So let's just take a couple of things, right? We might take more time. If you're studying on your own, you're going to take a little bit more time, but I'm going to try to push us a little bit faster, right? All right, so, one, it's got to be somebody that is known by the by the uh, 12 tribes dispersed abroad, right? Yes. Because there are, I'm sure, many, many, many Jewish men with the, with the name of James in, the, in, the, uh, in that area, right? But why are they gonna listen to James? 
Okay, so if we think about those who the, the Bible mentions that are named James, there would probably be two people that would that would come to mind, right? Peter and John, and who's the other one? James. So one of the one of the twelve apostles is named James. Could this not be uh, James the apostle? In, in in terms of would the dispersed people abroad have knowledge of James the apostle? Yes. Probably, right? We would say probably would. Okay. Now, the other person that it could be is James, the brother or half-brother of, of Jesus, right? Now, we would follow on by saying there's some facts that we know. One, James the Apostle was martyred early uh, historically. Right, that he that he was, I, I believe, the first of the uh, of the apostles that was martyred, but he died relatively early. Now, what about James? What do we? What does the scriptures tell us in in Acts and other places about the the brother of Jesus? What position did he have, Casper? The pillar of the church. It was right. It was, Peter, James, and when when uh, when uh, Paul comes into Jerusalem to talk to the church in Jerusalem, who's the one there who is the the purported head of the church? James, right? James, the brother of Jesus, right? So if James, the brother of Jesus, is the head of the church in Jerusalem, and he writes to, he would have then standing, there would be reason for him to be writing to the 12 tribes scattered amongst the nations because they were people who were part of, of the church before they dispersed, right? So this is one of the evidences that we would use to say that it is James, the half-brother of Jesus, right? Also, so... And also, again, the second part being that James the Apostle was martyred early in, in history, and so it's less likely that it's going to be him. Now, another passage would be like consistency between um, of writing and, and how things are addressed. So let's look in the book of Acts 15. And the verses right before 23, let's see. So we can say 22. We can start with 22. Um, so Acts 15, 22, uh, the heading on mine here says, the council's letters to Gentile believers. All right, so this is something that the church in Jerusalem is going to write to the Gentiles to say what they must what they must do, right? So then it says, in verse 22, it says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, 
both of the both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who I'm sorry I got myself um, mixed up with the following letter so they they're sending these people out with the following letter the brothers both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia greetings since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds although we gave them no instruction it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ all right so if we look at that that passage there and we compare that uh, to James because this letter would have was written by James the the head of the church here in Acts and so then when we look at it in James he's he's addressing here he's addressing the Gentiles in those locations in the book of James he says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations greetings so there's a there's a similarity and and this goes beyond what what I'm uh, an expert in, but they say the actual words used in those phrases, he uses the same words to in the greeting here in Acts to the Gentiles as the Book of James does in um, in stating in the Book of James, and that that those words for greeting that word for greeting is not the same word is used for greeting in other places in the New Testament right so we have a so we have some more evidence and and just the style of writing that the James gives here would lend us to say in fact the book of James is written by the uh, brother of Jesus so so then going in the book of James why does he not refer to himself as the brother of Jesus when he writes to them what what why is he not doing that all right it's not the relationship that that is he's emphasizing I would go to say it's not the relationship that's important mm -hmm. right to being the physical brother of Jesus does not give James the standing to instruct the believers in the church based on that physical relationship. Right, Casper? What I find remarkable in this is that he refers to his own brother as his Lord. Mm -hmm. If you have siblings, how easy would it be for you to call your sibling your Lord? Right. So, there, you know, then in the gospel it talks about that um, where, it, where it talks about that his mothers and siblings are outside waiting for him and thinking that he's out of his mind. So between that point and here, James underwent an enormous transformation. And I think part of recognizing who his brother was, mm -hmm. he, he was not did not want to play off that he is the half-brother of Jesus. Right. He didn't want to elevate himself. He didn't want to elevate his own prestige by saying 
I'm the brother of Jesus, right? And if we go to the book of Jude, can somebody read the, the uh, introduction there in Jude? Jude being another brother uh, of Jesus. He said, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Okay, so there he references James, which makes sense, right? Because again, James being the head of the church, it would make sense for, for someone who is going to be writing to others with instructions to, to say, hey, I'm not, this is not some rogue letter to you, but I'm, I am the brother of James, and I'm writing this to you. And then, as Casper pointed out in the other one, he references his relationship to Jesus here as being the bondservant of Jesus. And so we see that they have a proper understanding that Jesus, while as a human being, was born as their half-brother, that the, the truer, deeper, important message is that he's the Savior, the Messiah, God himself. Go ahead. And going back to what you said a few moments ago about how do we know who, who, who changed this, if I read in Romans 1, 1, that says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. So Paul refers to his apostleship. Um, James does not. And the passage that we read in Acts talked about apostles and elders, which makes me think that James was an elder and not an mm -hmm. apostle. And so from him now referring to the authority of his apostleship, would mean that it wouldn't be the Apostle James that was, uh, I see what you're saying. That, mm -hmm. that was martyred, but that it would be the elder, which would be the half-brother. Yes, uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but yeah, that, that would make sense that the, if, if, if the writer of the, author of the book of James had been the Apostle James, it would have made sense for him to refer to that apostleship like Paul does to set his you know set his credentials for why should you be listening to me in in this in this um in these terms all right so i think we've done a, a pretty good job here we would you know as you go into a book you want to a lot of times there are commentaries that'll give you some some good background i've gotten the macarthur commentary and, and he goes into some good detail as to evidences of why what other people might think you can get some some um, information that way all right so james is a servant of god and of the lord jesus christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings all right so he he as a as a elder in the church of jerusalem he wants to help the, these people who are recently dispersed amongst the nations who are believers in Christ and so when he's when he then starts to speak we're, we're, we're looking at it from that starting point of context right he, this is why he's writing them and so now he's writing to them all right so the first thing and it makes a lot of sense for him to start out with this with this passage, given who he is and who he's writing to. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, 
when you meet trials of various kinds. All right? So why would he say that? What, what is the reality of the, the people in the dispersion, as we talked about before? Right? That they're facing lots of trials. So he's talking about, he says, hey, this is considerate all joy. When I when I first, uh, I memorized the book of James when I was a younger man, and I, but I did it in the NIV, right? And so it says, uh, count it pure joy. Is uh, So that's the way those translators wrote it. So in the ESV, it's count it all joy, my brothers, which, you know, obviously it's the same, same message here, but it's that, so... That seems contradictory a little bit, or hard to hard to swallow. Maybe if you're the person uh, receiving these these hard times, right? To count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or patience would be another way, long suffering, another thing. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. We I started off by by saying that in here in the U.S., right, we can see uh, the starts of, and it could happen rapidly. It could take a little longer, but the um, persecution, the oppression of of Christians, seems to be, unless the Lord. Uh, brings a revival to this country seems to be coming rather strongly into the U.S. All right? So then, where will we be at that point is we will be believers scattered in the U.S. And then this message here of considerate joy when we face trials of many kinds, this is going to be important to us, especially... For those of us who are a little bit older, right? Because uh, our mindset is we're in the United States of America. I have rights. I, You can't stop me from going to church. I'm doing these things because I'm an American and I've got the constitutional rights to do these things. Right? Now, like I said... It may not be for long that we're able to do that. And so when we're in those spots, it, it'd be very easy for us then to, where's God? What's, what, you know, this is, this is bad. I need, to, I need to just hide. I need to, you know, God has betrayed me. I'm going to shake my fist at God because he promised me a fulfilled life and I'm, and all I have, and I can't feed my family. I, my, my father's in prison my you know my kids are are taken away from me all of these things are uh, can be things that happen to us right count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds so he starts off this way and then he says for right and this is when we're doing inductive bible study you know words have means and so when you see the word therefore or in this case the word for right this is the author saying made a statement and now he's saying there's a reason for for this why are we to consider it joy 
four, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, so this is the ESV. What other words does, does your translation use? Produces what? Endurance. All right, what? Endurance. Okay, endurance. Anything else besides endurance or steadfastness? I have old, old King James here. The trying of your faith. The trying of your faith produces what? Working. Patience. Patience. Okay, so patience, endurance, steadfastness. Okay. What's that? Perseverance. Perseverance. Okay, that's another that's another word that's in that same family, right? Okay, so this is a good thing. So how is it a good thing to us or for us? What's that? The results. The results, all right, because the results of what, when you're tried, when trials come, one, it's going to reveal who's going to grow and who's going to break apart. Right? Who's going to turn? Who's going to turn and say, "Oh, I didn't sign up for this. I'm, uh, you know, those guys are the ones who are crazy." So you're going to you're going to get the testing of the faith is going to produce those who leave us. When they leave us, they're demonstrating that they never were of us, right? But then others are going to we're going to see. We're going to, it's going to demonstrate that, in fact, we are children of God. And this is, so that is a good thing because it gives us greater confidence to live in light of that persecution, but having that steadfastness, that patience, that... It will make us stronger. Makes us stronger, right? And... One of the things that uh, you know we know in the Church of America is is the there are so many there's so much worldliness in the churches of America that are there because it's still fairly acceptable and easy to be part of the of the church. But when it becomes hard and it becomes trials and crimes and all of those things, then we're going to get a cleansing and we're going to see who, in fact, are those who are standing firm. And therefore, those who stand firm will have the confidence to be able to say, I truly am one who has been called by God. I mean, don't you think we've already started that process? I mean, aren't we seeing, isn't that why we, so few people go to church now in America? Compared to when I was a child, when my friends were going to church every Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's less than 20%. I mean, like, yeah. But isn't that why? Because it's, because we have evolution, we have, um, you know, like marriage and all those things that the true church was against, and now so few people. Right. Absolutely. I think I think we I think that it's one of those. What do they call it? The frog in the pot kind of things. Yeah. That's yeah. one of those things where 
a lot of us, again, a lot of us who maybe have a little bit of age to us, we think of America, we remember what it used to be where uh, if somebody was a pastor, they were held in high esteem, not just in the church, but in the community, in the, in the uh, lower levels of government. It was, that was a good thing. I, I tell my, I've told my kids and told other people, it's like, I remember when, what was his name, Gary Hart? was running for president, was a Democrat running for president. And when it came out that he had an affair, right, was going on with an affair, he was X'd out of the, uh, of the presidential campaign because who's going to vote for someone who is cheating on his wife while he's uh, getting ready to be campaign for president? Would that happen now? Now. Right, so you know uh, the things are we remember. We remember what we think of America, the Bible Belt, all of those, all of those things. But those things are becoming more and more a shell of what they were before. And again, it won't take that long for those for them to to turn and say. Any message that says you you are not what you what the person wants to proclaim themselves to be. If this girl wants to say she's a man, uh, or this man wants to say that he's a woman, if you don't church, if you don't celebrate this, we're closing you down. Is that? like impossible to believe what would happen in the next five years in this country right it, that absolutely can happen very quickly and we see it in Canada we see it in Europe we see it other places go ahead I think it's already happening in Canada yeah in Canada I think that they are, that they are doing those things and, and so and so going back to the to the uh, the main point here right is Therefore, when we talk about when James is making that that uh, proclamation, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith develops perseverance, develops endurance, develops patience. Those are things that we can take to heart, and we can know what James is saying, understand the context in which he's saying it and therefore apply it to our lives properly because we understand the context and what is going what is being said there so therefore if anybody asks you what is James saying in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 you should not say i don't know Right? You should say, I've studied that passage. I know what he is saying. And because I know what he's saying, I can put that as the foundation that I can set under my feet. I can stand on that foundation and I can say, I know that when trials come, that I can count it joy because it will produce maturity in me so therefore nobody wants trials but when they come 
I will not shrink and run, but I will let the Lord do what he's going to do through that trial. All right? So nobody then in this room can say that they don't know what James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 say. Okay? It'll test your faith. <laughs> it will absolutely test your, test your faith. If you'll, you'll find yourself, um, you know, my company is a small company. I'm going to say this, then I'm going to close this. Um, my company is a small company, right? I know that there are some people in my company who are in the sin of homosexuality, right? Now, I've been pretty clear of who I am at, uh, with the with different groups in, in our in my company, and and um, but when they when they could possibly tomorrow come out with something that says you're going to sign up to be an ally of the LGBTQ or you're not going to have a job, then I would need to make a choice, mm -hmm. and then that's when. The trials, you know, for me, change from a mostly theoretical to a, a reality, right? What am I going to do when there's not a paycheck that's going to come in next month based on a decision that I make? All right, so these are things that we have to take seriously in this. So next time you guys have me uh, in here, we will continue on with James, and I'm going to ask you with James 1, Verses 2 and 3 means, and you're going to tell me that you know because you've studied James 1, verses 2 and 3. All right, let me pray, and then we'll go. Dear Lord, we, I thank you for your, your word. I thank you for the church here. We pray for your mercy on us and on the church in America and across the world. I pray for the churches in, in uh, Jerusalem and the ones in the uh, Middle East and everywhere where they, where the reality of death and imprisonment is, is reality for them. I pray that we will be ready to, um, to pass the tests when they, they come our way as you see fit. And I pray, Lord, that um, we would have the courage to, in this time when we have this freedom, that we would proclaim your truth to the, this world knowing that they don't want to hear it, but knowing that you are the one who calls people and brings them to yourself. And we are called to be faithful to proclaim your truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.